So, Kate, we're going to pray for you before you Fab, thank you. talk for us. So we've got her for an extra 10 minutes because we started early, which is great. So let's Thanks. pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for Kate, Lord. We pray that you would bless her as she speaks, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would speak through her uh, to each of us today, this morning, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that, um, that she's written this book that really ministers to individuals who may not know um, how to deal with, with single people in whatever capacity. Lord, we thank you for the words that you've given her um, and the book that she has, Lord. Lord, we pray that you bless her as she speaks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Can I steal one of these stands? Is that all right? Is it, but I don't mind, I don't mind. As long as I just have somewhere to stick this, that would be great. Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you very much. Well, hello, everybody. It's fantastic to be with you today. Thanks so much for coming um, out on a Saturday morning when I know there's a million other things that you could have been doing. So thank you um, for being here. It's really lovely um, to see you all. Um, and I just want, I want sort of slightly to introduce myself and to introduce kind of where we're going to go and, and what we're going to do this morning uh, in the time that we've got. So um, I'm a vicar in Liverpool. Um, I also am um, on the national leadership team of New Wine. Some of you may know of New Wine. Um, and uh, I wrote a book um, as uh, Bav referenced. I think there's a picture of my church up there as well, actually, somewhere. Oh, I've probably done it all in the wrong order. There we go. Um, I've not printed out, the, helpfully to the guys at the back, I've not printed out the slides, so they're going to be like jumping around guessing what I'm on about. That's my church. Um, but I wrote a book, uh, which is back a couple, um, a few years ago called Single Minded which some of you um, may or may not have read. And then I also um, contributed a chapter to a book that's recently come out, um, which is called um, Seven Reasons Your Church Needs More Men. Now, I don't think that's a great title for the book, I've got to be honest, and they know that I don't think that, because <laughs> that's actually not really what the book is about. Um, it's actually about more than that uh, title implies it's about. Uh, but it has chapters. It's written by a, a ministry called Engage, or put together by a ministry called Engage, um, which seeks to support marriage um, and relationships and singleness um, in the church um, in the UK. And so there, are, there is a chapter on there in singleness, which I've read, um, and then there's all sorts of other chapters, which I've written rather, uh, which all sorts of other chapters in there um, as well. So there was, um, there was a badge um, somewhere in there, uh, which said, hello, uh, my name is single. And I don't know whether that's somehow how you feel you need to introduce yourself when you go to events, you know, if you've just got a big sort of sticker on you. Um, and it does bear saying right at the start that if you're distracted by my wedding ring, um, it's not a wedding ring. <laughs> I am single, I promise. I know sometimes when we hear people talking um, about singleness and you suddenly think, hang on a minute. Um, so I am single. I can tell you the story of the ring later if you want. There is a reason for it. But sometimes it feels like we need to introduce ourselves like that, doesn't it? Because sometimes it feels like that becomes kind of our primary identity in some way. And when that isn't at all our primary identity, our singleness um, isn't our identity, isn't who we are, isn't who God says we are, is it? Um, and so there's lots of other ways um, that we would introduce ourselves. And I wish we had time um, for all of you to kind of tell me and each other your story. It would be so lovely to hear that. We don't have time for that. I'm sorry, you're going to hear more from me than I am from you. Um, that's how it is. And, um, but I hope that there's a chance maybe later for you to have a chat over kind of refreshments. And, and some of you will know each other already. Um, and that's great. So I want to just explain to you a little bit about, um, about why I wrote the book um, and, um, and also uh, just to tell you a, a couple of funny stories. Um, I'll, I won't tell you too many, but like me, I'm sure you will have had, there's a cartoon picture there um, of a little girl making this sort of face that I make um, when people ask me certain questions. Um, and, um, and, 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 
I don't know whether you've ever had this experience, but people can say some incredible things, can't they? Like genuinely some remarkable things. And I feel like, I feel like God's having a joke with me sometimes because I feel like because I do these talks and because I write, I feel like God's going, oh, I'll get you some more material, Kate. And so I walk into these situations and have these conversations and think, what the? You, you know you said that out loud, right? So my favorite ever one of these, and I tell this story all the time, God bless this man, he has no idea that he is a permanent sermon illustration in my life. But I was once, I'm a vicar, okay, so I do funerals. There's no, it doesn't matter that this story happened at a funeral, it just somehow makes it funnier. So, um, so I was at the, the graveyard, graveside, and this chap just approaches me. Uh, and he says to me, okay, I, I hear that you're about to move to a new church. I hope you're going to a church with lots of nice young single men. And I thought, oh, interesting conversation opener. I didn't know this guy very well. And I said, oh, um, well, if you hear of a church like that, you will tell me, won't you? At which point he said, oh, you don't want to leave it too late, you know? And I felt like I could see, you know, that, you know, the countdown clock. I felt like I could see it in the air above me going, diddle, diddle, diddle. Um, and I was like, oh, uh, a bit, bit forward, okay. Um, and so I sort of just laughed it off and went, oh, ha, ha. And then he said to me, I promise, word for word, this is what he said to me. I went, oh, you know, getting married is the best thing I've ever done. It's so much better than being single. <laughs> I was like, Wow. Um, and then my other favorite one is of a time when I was at New Wine and I was going to speak at a seminar and I had my papers and my you know, bits and bobs and I was sort of purposefully walking and this chap stops me with all the time in the world like, oh, hello, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm in a hurry. Um, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going to do a seminar. What's your seminar on? And I said, it's on singleness. And he went, ooh, <laughs> that's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> I was like, is it? <laughs> and he said, oh, yes, oh, and then he, again, I promise, I do not exaggerate these stories, I promise the next words out of his mouth were, I, I once knew a woman who was still single when she turned 30. <laughs> and um, and I, was, I felt like saying, it's right, it's not catching. And I was 34 at the time he said those words to me, and I was like, wow. Um, so, but the, these things happen to me all of the time. I, I, I trust that they happen to other people as well, and it's not some giant practical joke that I'm living in. Um, but that's the face I quite often make at these points. Or oh, there's, another, there's another cartoon just a bit later on as well of a, of a similarly <laughs> felt position. Um, so anyway, somehow that's how I feel. Um, and I want just to show you a little video. I don't know whether you've come across these guys in America, they're comedians. You have to tune in quite quickly to the accent because it goes quite fast. But if you can tune in, then um, we'll just watch this little video. It's any quick. How are you still single? There's someone out there for you. Jesus is your boyfriend now. Meet and greet's coming up. You know what to do. The key is to act like you don't care. It happens when you don't expect it. Who are you bringing to the wedding? If I was a girl, I'd date you. Who can we set you up with? Sorry, couples only. Have you tried internet dating? She looks single. You know who else wasn't married? Paul. All single ladies. All single ladies. Come on. Happens when you're not looking. Work on your smile. He's single! You know who else wasn't married? Jesus. It's okay to be a fifth wheel. Maybe if you give God one of your ribs, he'll give you a wife. <laughs> you should change your Facebook profile picture. You know who else wasn't married? Matthew. No, he was married. You should meet my cousin. Just pray about it. Pray harder. This series is on marriage. You don't need to pay attention. You're not that old yet. You can't settle. You know, you might want to think about settling. There's plenty of fish in the sea. We're going to celebrate not having Valentine's Day. If she says, you're like my best friend, that's bad. You should try overflow. Maybe she can see you tithe. You know, when you have a wife, you can't play as much Xbox. You should get a dog. Have you asked Jesus for a wife? Are you on Christian Mingle? Have you? 
Have you tried this? This looks good. I have a great book for you to read. It's called The Bible. Jesus is your girlfriend now. Dude, you have to get someone hot because you're going to be married to them forever. You are going to make such a cool aunt. It's not about you. You know, there's no marriage in heaven. It's all about you. I don't know. Is he a Christian? It's about Jesus. I know people who got married when they were like 70, okay? You're fine. Marriage is like a sandwich. It takes a long time. You're not gonna meet your husband at a bar. Do you want to be Jim and Pam or do you want to be Ross and Rachel? For it is better to be unmarried. See? Oh gosh, I love that. One day I'm going to make my own one of those, okay, I'm definitely, I've got enough material, seriously, I'm definitely going to make my own. Um, so I don't, I, I, all of these things are said as a joke, I hope that you get my humour. I once wrote a blog post about the, what I'm about to share with you now, and 99% um, of people thought it was really funny, and 1% of people were like, well, I don't get her. Um, so I hope that you do. Um, but I just, I could spend hours telling you all of the funny stories. But what I thought I'd do is I would give you my list of the top 10 things that single people wish married people wouldn't say. Okay? Um, and if you uh, get all 10 of, if you've had all 10 of them sent, said to you, you're allowed to shout bingo at the end. So here's the first one. You're so lovely. Why are you still single? Okay. This is my favorite. Um, they're all my favorite, actually. Um, and this one, the problem is with this one, is that it seems like it's a compliment, right? They've called you lovely. That's a compliment. That's a good thing to say, isn't it? But actually, it's not really a compliment. Because what they're really saying is, well, you seem lovely. <laughs> but you can't really be lovely, because if you were really lovely, you'd be married, wouldn't you? Like all the lovely married people. Um, and then the other thing they say that seems like a compliment, but isn't, is don't worry, you're still so young. Let me tell you, there was a point at which they stopped saying that. <laughs> I turned 40 last year, they don't say it anymore. Um, but don't worry, you're still so young. But actually, that doesn't help, does it? Because it can be really hard to be single when you're 20. And you cannot be bothered when you're 60. Like, it's not just about how old you are. Um, do you have a family? This is a question that I... That, if you've never thought about it, what, what this life also might do is it might mess with your head and you might start noticing things you've never noticed before. I'm sorry if that's the case. But people sometimes ask, do you have a family? Now, the problem with this question is it's a perfectly valid question, but it doesn't mean what it sounds like it means. So people aren't asking you if you've got cousins and aunts and uncles and parents. And if you answer that way, they'll think you're odd. What they're asking you is... I, I believe me. What they're asking you is, are you married with children? Now, I don't mind people asking me if I'm married with children. It's a perfectly valid question. The answer is no. We can have a conversation. But when they go, do you have a family? I go, um, and they're like, do you not know? <laughs> because they, I don't know whether to answer the question they're asking or the question I know they mean. And so it ties us all up in knots. Perfectly happy to be asked if I'm married, particularly as I wear a ring on my wedding finger. But the do you have a family question is a peculiar one. People say this, don't they? If you get your relationship with God sorted out, he'll send you a spouse. Will he, though? <laughs> like everybody who's married has got a perfect relationship with God or what? And then they say this one, which contains within it my least favorite phrase in the whole world. They say, I was single till whatever, so I know exactly how you feel. I very much dislike the phrase, I know exactly how you feel, because nobody ever does. They might be in exactly the same life circumstance as you, but they don't know how you feel, because they're not you. And I kind of think as well that as soon as we move into a different state than the one before, no matter how long we experience that state for, we've sort of forgotten what it was like, because when you're in it, you don't know if it ever ends. As soon as you're out of it, you know that it did end, so you can't really recall those feelings. 
Do you think you're being too picky? I've never, oh, it is going to come up. Sometimes number 10 jumps up too early for reasons I don't understand. Okay. Do you think you're being too picky? Yep, beating them off with a stick, me. Yes. <laughs> have you thought about, they say, have you thought about internet dating, speed dating, blind dating, like it would never have occurred? You're so lucky to be footloose and fancy free. Yep, I am. It's great. I can dash off at a moment's notice. I can go here and there. I can travel. I can not worry about anyone else. Those things are brilliant. And if we can talk about them in a sort of mutual way, where I share the things that are great for me and you share the things that are great for you and, and the things that are hard, that's great. But when people kind of throw this at you uh, when you're struggling, it's a bit hard, isn't it? And the next one's similar. Uh, my husband, my wife, my children are driving me mad. It's so hard being married, having children, I wouldn't bother if I were you. Well, they don't actually mean that, do they? It's offensive, actually, to their partner and children. And it's a bit patronizing to me because we can't swap, can we? <laughs> and then the last one, of course, no one would ever do this, would they? Except, oh, wait, they do. I think God's given me a word for you. You'll be married by whenever. You'll be pregnant by whenever. I would have had 23 husbands by now if all the prophecies people had given me had come true. There's a reason that when you do prophecy training, they tell you no babies, no spouses. So anybody? Bingo? There must be someone who's had all 10 of those said to them apart from me, right? <laughs> but actually, the problem is with those sentences, and, and my, my great um, amusement, I should have asked at the beginning, I'm assuming because you're all here on a Saturday morning that you good people are all single. But if you are married and you've come to support friends, then God bless you. Um, when I do this talk to mixed groups of people, I, I often find at the end the married people just like heads bowed a little bit going, I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> and I really don't want to make people feel terrible. Um, and, and actually, I think there's really something about how we can challenge this stuff but in a really positive way because I don't want to be that person that's forever getting grumpy and shoulder chippy about these things. But at the same time, I do want my lovely married friends to kind of realize that maybe some of the ways they phrase things could be done differently. Because the problem is with those things that they're funny, right? And, and when they happen to me, I just text my friend and I go, oh, I've got another one for the list. But actually, they can, they can feed in, can't they, somehow, to that voice inside of us that says, well, what if there is something wrong with me, though? Why haven't I? got married when all these other people have? Like, is, is it me, actually? And we, and, we, and we know it isn't, and we know all of that, and, but sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? And when we hear this stuff, if we're not in the best of places, then sometimes it can just feed into that. And, and, and it's part of the reason why I, why I, why I share that list, not because I want to moan about married people, but because I think it's kind of almost helps us to like, okay, this happens to other people too, like it's all right. Um, and I'd suggest the best way to deal with it, if it's someone you know or whatever, or maybe you can say to them, oh, hang on a minute, did you, did you think about that? Um, but actually, it's just to have another friend that you can text it to and just kind of laugh about it and not let it stick, I guess. So the reason I, uh, I wrote the book, um, let me tell you how that came about. What happened was that about 10 years ago now, um, so I've been involved in New Wine for a really long time, and about 10 years ago, um, I was asked if I would do um, a seminar on singleness at New Wine. And I thought about it, and I said, no. <laughs> and the reason I said no is because at that point, I hadn't ever really heard a talk, a seminar, and anything on singleness that hadn't left me feeling worse when I left than I had when I arrived. Um, that's very much not my aim for today. And I, and I don't know whether that's ever been your experience before of, of going to a singleness event. Maybe you've never been to one before, but if you have, maybe you've had that experience. And, um, and I just didn't really know what it looked like 
to do an event on singleness that, that, was, that was helpful, <laughs> uh, that enabled us to, um, to, to hear what God said, to, to, to kind of honestly engage with what the Bible says, to honestly think about what is it that God says? What is it that God says about sex and relationships and marriage and singleness? And if all of that's true, once we know what it says, well, how do I actually do it? Even though sometimes it's hard. You know, that's, I didn't think I was asking a lot in that, really. But those are the things I wanted. And I never felt like I'd, I, I kind of, I'd heard those in a talk. And, and I said, no, I wasn't really sure how to do it. And then the following year came around and they said, will you do a talk on singleness? And I said, well, no, like I said last year, I don't really want to. And then I, then I had a dream. And this just never happens to me. So I kind of knew it must be God. I had a dream. And I woke up with these two titles in my head. And I knew they hadn't come from me because they were too clever to have come from me. And they were um, living a God-obsessed life in a marriage-obsessed church and living a God-obsessed life in a sex-obsessed world. And so I I emailed back and I said, oh, actually, I do want to do those talks, but actually I want two, not one. (laughs) And they were like, oh, great. Um, And so I did those seminars and and then I did two more and then I started to be invited to speak at at other events and, and, and other churches and a little while past, and my friend said to me, look, you know, you, you must have a book in this. You've written loads of talks now. And I thought, well, who's got time to write a book? How do you write a book? Anyway, it happened. Fortunately, I got, you know, introduced to the right people. I was, I was lucky. But um, um, when I came to write the book, there were, I wrote two chapters with, with those two titles. And when I ask people, it's really interesting what happens. So when I ask any group of people who are Christians, married, single, mixed, or whatever, do you think we're living in a sex-obsessed world? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. We can identify with, with that kind of concept. When I ask, do you think we're living in a marriage-obsessed church, you can probably imagine what happens. I ask that question to a group of single people, and they're all nodding. They're all nudging each other. Um, when I ask that question to a mixed group of people, the married people are like, oh, no, 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 oh, no, no. So what's actually going on there? What is actually going on? If the, if the single people think that at least in, in part, now, and not necessarily your own church, maybe your own church is brilliant at this. Of course, some churches are. It's not every church is bad at this. But the church in general, I think, it's probably fair to say, um, focuses far more on, seems to value more marriage and married people than single people. So, so what, why? How has that come about? How is it that that's how we experience church? How is it that married people don't know that? <laughs> I mean, a church leader friend of mine once said, oh, no, my church isn't like that. We've got lots of single people. And I'm like, did you, did you hear what I said? That's not the same thing. I'm not saying there aren't any. I'm saying it doesn't necessarily feel like a, an easy place for them to be. It doesn't necessarily feel like they have as much value. Why is that? What have we done wrong? So to try to kind of unpack that and to think about why that might be and how that might have come about, um, I'm just going to take us on a little bit of a, a journey, a very, very, very quick journey through the Bible and church history. <laughs> um, buckle in. Uh, so here's, here's what I think has happened. So in Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, this is what happens. Um, God creates things and he says that they're good. Okay, time after time, God creates something and says it's good. And then suddenly, God says something isn't good. Have you ever noticed that suddenly God says something isn't good? What's the first thing that isn't good in the Bible? The first thing that isn't good is for the man to be alone. That's the first time God has said that there's a, there's a problem, if you like, something isn't good. It isn't good for the man to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, Okay, God doesn't say uh, it is not good for the man to be single. 
I will make a wife suitable for him. He says, what's not good is aloneness. So God remedies that by creating Eve uh, and, and, and then other people. And so, so relationship is created, community is created. And all through the Old Testament, what we see is that there are families at the heart of everything. There are clans. That's how society works. There are, there are family units everywhere. And, uh, and there's not really a place for single people. It's, it's kind of not okay to be single or childless. There's a stigma attached to that. Um, and there are, there are issues kind of around that because particularly for women, like who would care for you? If you don't have children, who is going to look after you when you're old? Uh, there would be massive stigma around um, and it would just be really difficult. And we see that, don't we? We see uh, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Jephthah's daughter, Hannah and others who face uh, difficulties, face issues, face sorrow due to their singleness or their barrenness. God promises um, never to forget these women. In Isaiah 54, he says, Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. So even, even then, even um, back in, in kind of Isaiah's time, where, where God is, is comforting, consoling um, these women for whom it's really difficult to be in the position that they're in. But this, this worldview, this society where family and, and marriage was at the heart of everything, this was the, the prevailing kind of culture all through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. So Jesus is born into this society. This is the world into which he lives, where, where singleness is, is not the norm, where, where childlessness is not okay, where marriage and family are at the heart of everything. And yet in the middle of this, Jesus grows up and, and, and turns everything on his head, doesn't he? Like so often, Jesus turns things on their heads. And so Jesus says, well, salvation comes from knowing me, not from marriage. He says, eternal life comes from knowing me, not from having heirs to continue your family name. He says, dignity and uh, identity come from knowing me, not from any relationship that you might have. And he taught that marriage is an earthly state, not an eternal one. He created a, a new family, a new community, and he called it church. And he said, didn't he, you know, controversially, when people said to him, you know, your mother's here, your, your brothers are here, he said, who's my, who's my mother and my brothers and my sisters? These people are my family, this community. And so Jesus made it perfectly clear that, that choosing to follow him is the most important thing that we could ever do. It's far more important than any marriage partner or any children. And that isn't to say those things aren't important. I never, whenever I talk about singleness, I never, ever want to kind of downplay marriage and children. Those are wonderful, wonderful, important, fantastic things. But not everybody has them. <laughs> not everybody will ever have them. And so I think what we need to do is to think about the, the priorities, to think about the, the relative value that we have given to each of these things. Jesus, I think, was, was changing the order and was giving status and dignity in a new way. He makes it clear that both married and single people are equally able to serve God. And of course, Jesus himself, as we heard on the silly video, but Jesus himself 
was single. Paul was single. And actually, that's pretty radical. And we can forget because in our society, it's perfectly normal to be single into your 30s, 40s or beyond. It's quite common. But for Jesus to be single was really quite radical. You know, Jesus, we know, died, you know, about the age of 33. For him to be a teacher, a religious teacher, um, unmarried at 33 was really very countercultural. Paul speaks highly, of course, of the single life. He affirms both marriage and singleness, but he expresses his admiration for the single life, his desire that more people would remain single. And he talks about the benefits of that. He talks about the way we can be more fully committed to the work of the gospel if we're single. There's um, a great book that uh, was written must be 25 years ago now, because I think when I wrote my book, it was, it was you know, some time ago. And it's American, and it's written by a man, so it's quite different contextually from, from what I've written, but it's an excellent book on singleness. And it's called The Single Issue by a man called Al Shee. Um, and he says this, without demeaning marriage, the New Testament gives a new dignity to singleness. Both are equally valid ways to serve God. And I think this is what we need to recapture in the church. We don't want to demean marriage, but we do want to give dignity that perhaps, perhaps feels like it has been lost, back to singleness and say both of these are valid. Uh, in a church which I think often has not looked at it that way, both of these are valid. And I think what's happened is, you know, we've, we've gone through, and there are, there are reasons for this that I, I ponder, I don't know for sure. I think, there's, I think there's something to do with how the church is sought to be kind of reformed and, and become holy throughout the, throughout the ages. Um, you know, at, at times there's been greater calls for celibacy or for mar- family or whatever. But I think for whatever reason, we've, we've got to the point now in our society where we're seeing in the world around us huge uh, family breakdown. We're seeing massive um, rates of divorce. We're seeing, you know, all sorts of um, threat to family life in our, in our culture. And I think the church is kind of trying rightly to stand against that. And rightly, the church is saying, we need to stand up and support marriage and family life. That is absolutely right. We should be doing marriage preparation courses, marriage courses, parenting courses. We should be supporting families at every turn. That is right. But I think what the church has done is it has done that to the exclusion of singleness. I think it has gone so hard towards family that it has forgotten that. Uh, For lots of us for whom that will never be our reality, that can feel very excluding and very difficult. And so Al Shi again, he says this, a truly Christian view of both singleness and marriage will honour both equally without disparaging one or the other. Recovering such a balance is the first step towards a church where singles are valued equally with marrieds. And you might think, well, that's not too much to ask, is it? Because it would be ridiculous if we were to say, well, you know, in the church, we just value, you know, people with blonde hair and the people with brown hair are just not so important. I mean, it's ridiculous. And yet it feels as if this is how it works out um, with marriage and singleness. A few years ago, um, there was an advert on the radio. It was an advert for insurance. um, And uh, it it was done in the voice of a sat-nav. You know how you can just instantly recognize a sat-nav voice. And the idea of this advert was to say that um, this insurance company would be there for you throughout all of your life, all the stages of your life they could insure you for. And so they they talked uh, as if it were a journey. Life is a journey, fair enough. 
and they outlined sort of landmarks along the way. And this is what they said. Uh, they said, meet partner, get married, have baby. What were the next words spoken by this sat-nav of your life? Arrive at destination. As if those are the stages of life. Do them in that order, and then you've got there. Don't do them in that order. Well, then have you ever really arrived? Have you ever really done what you were supposed to do? It seemed to me that the advert implied. And you know, we would hope, I would so hope, I long that the church would be different from this. You know, it would be one thing if we were to say, well, do you know what? In, in the world, it's really hard to be single, but at least in the church, we've got it right. I wish we could say that. I wish we could say, you know, out there in society, it's, it's pretty tough to be a single person. People don't really understand, but at least when you come to church, people get it. But we can't say that, I don't think, so often. And I long that we would be able to say that because I genuinely think we're missing a massive missional opportunity. You know, so many people... Last weekend, I was in London doing an event with Single Friendly Church. I don't know if you've come across those guys. They're amazing. Follow them on social media. Uh, join up to their mailing list if you don't. They're, they're great. Um, and they're, it's fairly clear what their aim is from their name, but they're, they're, they're trying to influence the church to become better at supporting single people. They're, they're trying to do that through a great, great resources um, and events. Um, and they say that there are 40% of, of people um, in our country are single. You know, that's a lot of people. And, and I think we're, we're missing a trick on, on not being better at this in church because so many people are living alone, so many people are going through life single, so many people are lonely. We know this. There's constant sort of surveys that describe the loneliness epidemic um, in our world. And this isn't just as we might imagine elderly people. This is young people as well. They've done surveys of, of you know, people aged sort of 16 to 25 and found out that they're incredibly lonely. If only the church were a place where we could say, if you come into our church as a single person, you will be fully embraced in community um, and feel welcomed. And some individual churches do that right. Of course they do. But many don't. And the church, I think, has got a long way to go with this. But is it only the church? Well, another fascinating um, thing that I read, there was an article a few years ago on the BBC News website, and this guy um, wrote this article. He was not a Christian, um, and he wrote an article about how singleness felt to him. And uh, the article was entitled, Why Are Couples So Mean to Single People? Now, that is a pretty provocative title. He might not have written it. I mean, I know how they do these things with, adverts and, um, with articles and headlines. But why are couples so mean to single people? Um, and he discussed in this article the view. It, he wasn't saying that this is how it felt for him, but he was saying this is how he felt people thought of him, that to be single is somehow to have failed. Now, that's, that's pretty huge, isn't it? If that's how you think your life is viewed by other people, to be single is somehow to have failed. And then he said this, you see, no one is supposed to be single. If we are, we must account for our deficiencies. And I don't know, but I, I resonate with that. I resonate with the, the underlying feeling behind that article of somehow that's what I think people feel when they look at me. Oh, what went wrong there? Oh, bless her. You know, oh dear, poor you. And it feels a little bit like we've got to explain. And that's exhausting, isn't it? Because sometimes it's fine and sometimes it's not. And, and, and yet it's difficult. If that's at any level kind of how we feel, uh, other people look at us. And I think we need to read us a bit of Psalm 139 when we feel like that <laughs> and remind ourselves of just what it is that God actually says about us. Um, 
there's a great quote by, um, there's some Psalm 139, you can read it later. Uh, there's a great quote by Shane Claiborne. Um, I've got a picture of him on there somewhere, but it's quite a long quote. Um, but uh, I really like what he says. He's not single anymore, Shane Claiborne, but he was when he wrote this. And, um, and he says, I think we've got a lot to learn about the gift of singleness to the church and for the sake of the gospel. Jesus talks about it in Matthew, Paul talks about it, and then he says this, this is hilarious. He says, you don't look at someone like Mother Teresa and think, oh man, it'd have been great if she'd only got married. <laughs> you know, oh, wouldn't, she have, wouldn't she have fulfilled her potential if she'd have only found a husband, you know? Um, and I love that. I just, it's a longer quote than that. He goes on to say some other things, but I think... You know, he, he kind of wants to turn on its head this view of society that, oh, if only, you know, you, 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 things would go great if only, if only you got married. So what does it actually look like then, um, if I've made this bold statement about, you know, the church is obsessed with marriage, um, if I've uh, given you a bit of background as to why I think that might be the case, how does that actually play out? What does that look like? Um, what are maybe some of the issues for us in that? And what are maybe some of the things that, you know, might be able to do about it. One of the things that can just be really difficult is those questions, isn't it? Those constant questions that feed into that thing where we think it's our deficiency. So people might think they're being lovely and kind, but when people constantly say to you, have you got a boyfriend yet? It's those little words, isn't it? Yet. <laughs> Are you still single? <laughs> those little words, those constant assumptions. A friend of mine was telling me yesterday, um, she's a minister um, who's single. Uh, she, they were at a conference, and she and this other minister who's a man who's single went to talk about something to do with work. And then for the whole rest of the day, she had people sort of nudging her and saying, oh, you too, you too. You know what? That, no, definitely not. You know, don't match us up with every person that walks past. Because for a start, that's really unfair on you guys. Because in this room, as in all church gatherings, there are far more women than men. <laughs> so the pressure on you guys is immense. <laughs> because we know that if we just lined everybody up and paired everybody off, there'd still be a load of women left at the end of the line. <laughs> but for you guys, that feels like that pressure is huge. There's a, there's a whole thing, isn't there, around the gift of singleness. Anybody ever talked to you about the gift of singleness? Uh, Paul threw this kind of word in, didn't he, to Corinthians to, to, to kind of mess with us. And, um, <laughs> and Al Shee says this about it. He says, no question makes singles more uneasy and no concept generates more confusion. Ah, the gift of singleness. Sometimes I wonder if it's like a Christmas gift you want to return. <laughs> you get something from someone and you think, well, this is nice, but I'd rather have a different sweater than this one. I'd rather have the gift of marriage than the gift of singleness. And sometimes when people talk about the gift of singleness, it can feel a little bit like that. Because they, they talk about it as if what the gift of singleness means is, oh, you'll, you'll, you'll kind of be immune to all desire. You've got the gift of singleness, so you'll never want to get married, and it will all be fine, and you'll live happily ever after in your benign singleness. But that isn't at all what the Bible says, and isn't what it means, I don't think, by talking about the gift of singleness. There's no suggestion that if we've got the gift of singleness, we'll be free from all sexual desire. And also, we would never say... Um, I'll totally lost my place. Um, we would never say, would we, um, to a mar you know, married person would never say, oh, I'm not sure I've got the gift of marriage. <laughs> you know, if you're, I think, if you're single, you have the gift of singleness. If you're married, you have the gift of marriage. If you, if you change from one state to the other, you, you get the other gift. It's simply a case of living well, I think, where we are. It can be so tempting, can't it, to look at somebody else's life and think, if only, if only I had that, if only my life were like that. We do it in all sorts of ways, not just in marriage and singleness. The grass is always greener, isn't it, over there? But actually, we've only got this grass. 
<laughs> we might as well water it and, and, and look after it and live well in it because it's all we've got. And at some point, our life might change. Our circumstances might change to a different state, but we don't know. We don't know. And I think one of the, the biggest dangers for us um, in our single life, whatever, whatever our state of singleness, if you like, some of you, like me, will be never married. Some of you will have been married or in long-term relationships, and you're not anymore. Some will be divorced, widowed, whatever. Some of you will have been a Christian throughout all of that, or you might have become a Christian later on in that journey, whatever the circumstance, we don't know what's around the corner, but one of the greatest dangers is that we just put our life on hold. Um, and, and I think one of the, the greatest things that, that Jesus offers us is, is this opportunity to live life to the full. He says, I've come that you may have life in all its fullness. And I think if we live in this enclosed little world that says, well, if only, you know, it, it, I really, want to, I really want to go to that place, but I've always dreamt it'll be my honeymoon destination, so I won't go there unless I get married. <laughs> or, you know, a million other ways that we do that thing of just living this if-one-day kind of life. And, and it shuts the world in around us, I think, and we, and we miss out on so much if we live that way. So church can be tricky, can't it? Because um, people make assumptions about us. They maybe assume that we've got loads of free time. Um, I hear this loads from people, you know, oh, so-and-so, oh, Kate will, you know, stay and lock up. She's not got anything else to do. <laughs> She's got kids to get home for. You know, that assumption can be around, can't it? All the time in the world. But actually what people don't realize is that often there's no one else to do all the other stuff. So uh, I haven't got kids to get home for, but actually no one's made my tea. No one's, no one's done the washing. No one's sorted out all that other stuff that we've got to sort out. And on my one day off a week when I want to spend some time with my friends, then the people I want to spend time with are not in my house. I have to travel to go and see them or, you know, I have to make holiday plans at a time when my friend can also be on holiday and, uh, or I have to do it on my own and pay twice as much. <laughs> All that kind of stuff that, that can be tricky. It can be hard to navigate that in church, can't it? I wonder whether you um, have ever been aware of um, people treating you like you've not quite grown up yet, no matter how old you are. Um, because you're single. Uh, particularly, I think this is if you've always been single. You're not quite grown up. So actually, a good friend of mine who's now widowed, young, um, tells me that when she was 20 and newly married, she and her husband were asked to lead a, a home group together. And she says, we had no clue what we were doing. We were horribly immature. And yet in our home group was a, a mature, wise, godly woman in her 40s who was single and had never been asked to lead anything. And I, and I think that, that can really happen. There's language, isn't there? All uh, the, the sorts of language that happens. Sometimes if a church leader says to me, um, Kate, I just want you to tell me in five minutes, you know, how can I kind of do better at this in my church? The thing I focus on is language. Because actually when um, churches advertise like a thing called a family service, that seems so entirely innocent that nobody married would ever see any issue with it. And I said, well, does that mean I can't come? Well, of course, we mean the whole church family. No, you don't. Because if you meant that, all services would be called a family service. The fact that you call one of them a family service means that at that one, you want married people to come with their little kids. Oh, <laughs> we never thought of that. And those illustrations that people give when they're married that naturally come to them, and we all do this, we all give illustrations from our life, but the illustrations that say, well, you know what it's like. I mean, church is a bit like, it's a bit like a marriage, isn't it? You know what it's like. You know what it's like. It's like when your kid's grow up and, and do this. You know what it's like? It's like when you have a baby and, you know, I don't know any of those things. And if all of your illustrations are around those things, not only will I not understand what you're talking about, but I'll just feel like I don't belong here. I think language is a, a huge way in which church can get better at doing this stuff. 
And I think church um, is a, a big way that, um, or church can go a long way to, to helping with this loneliness problem. So I think we're missing out evangelistically and, and missionally if we're, if we're not inviting in those people in our community that are doing life alone uh, and supporting them, but also just for each other, providing a place where, where we can be real with each other. I think one of the things we've got to do so much more of in church is be honest, be real. Go beyond the how are you fine thanks nonsense that goes on every Sunday when we're not in any way fine. <laughs> but we either don't really know how else to say it, we're not sure how it will be received, or the person asking us doesn't really look like they care anyway. How do we get to the point where we can really share how we're doing? Where we can really say, this is what life's like for me at the moment, and not make assumptions. The assumptions that when a married person offers to pray for a single person, they're just going to pray for a a spouse when that's not necessarily what you wanted them to pray for. Or say, actually, do you know at the moment this is really tough and this is why, this is what it looks like. And for married people and single people to be able to be more honest with each other about the joys and the struggles of each. I don't want my married friends to think they can never tell me when they've had a fight with their spouse because I'll just feel sad that I haven't got one. I want to be able to share that part of their life. I want, them, I want to be able to sympathize with them when they've been up all night and the kids haven't slept. I don't want them to feel they can't share that, but equally, I want to be able to share the stuff that's hard for me. I think as church, we've got, to, we've got to kind of get better at looking each other in the eye and having hard conversations and honest conversations and genuinely wanting to know what each other's life is like and going all out for hospitality and making sure that nobody's on their own at Christmas or their birthday if they don't want to be. You know, to make sure that, that people aren't struggling on their own with, with just the stuff of life that's hard to do when there's only one of you. I think we need to do so much better at relationship and, and community and honesty. Church, I think, at its best would be like a, a family. So families are great, aren't they? And they're a nightmare as well. <laughs> um, and that's kind of church. Do you know, it's like a bit messy. It's you kind of love each other and then they do your head in. And, you know, it's just, you're just family. You're just there for each other. And you can tell each other the hard stuff. You can tell each other when something's not right or, or when you need to change your behavior a bit. But you, goodness me, you're going to be there for them no matter what happens. Paul... Um, Paul says this, this might be in a different translation than you're used to hearing it, um, but Paul says this to the church in Corinth, where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. And I think you and I know this in our best moments. I think we know this really but actually so often we can sort of forget it because we're having a bad day or because someone said one of those special things that they say or, or because we felt excluded from something. And so I pray, I'm coming to a close now, um, and you've got a chance to pray uh, uh, later and, and stuff, but, but I pray for us, for all of us, that we would know primarily our value, our worth before God, that we would know that our status is only found in him, our identity only found in him. The only relationship in our lives that in any way matters ultimately is the one with Jesus. And we need people, of course we do. We need friends and family and community. But the only relationship that actually matters in our life is Jesus. I pray that we would know that deep down in our core. Uh, but I also pray that for all of us, married, single, old, young, male, female, kids, no kids, whatever, we would get better at being community, at sharing, at understanding, at living well 
together. Can I pray just as we, just as I close at least? Lord, thank you for, um, for the model of your life, Jesus. Thank you that you were a single man uh, who lived well <laughs> on this earth. Thank you for all that you taught us and continue to teach us. Thank you for the, the model that your life is to us. Thank you for your church with all its faults and imperfections. Thank you for the fact that it is your body here on earth. And Lord, I pray for each one of us here today that we would know our value in your sight. That we would know how precious and loved we are to you. And that we individually and corporately would would just do better at loving each other, cheering each other on, and living life to the full with you. Amen.